Father, thank you so much for being so loving. God, it is it's extraordinary to see how you can use a, a small church like us to reach the community. God, you're the one that brought the people here. You're the one that empowered us to accomplish your will, to get your word out, Lord. It's all from you, and it all goes back to you because our life is all about you. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we also ask right now that whatever, wherever Christians are meeting in whatever capacity uh, in, in church, whether that's underground or on top of mountains or in little huts or outside in, in, in the brutal weather, God, we pray that you remind them as with us that we're all in this together to accomplish one, one purpose, and that's for your name to be glorified, that people will come to serve and worship you. And God, as we dwell on that, remind us that our sins are forgiven, Lord. Help us repent of our sins. Bring to light anything that we're hiding, anything we're trying to justify, anything we're saying is just normal, or anything that's saying this is just the way I am. God, drive us to repentance, to see the sin and to see the idols, to see the pride, the self-righteousness, whatever it may be, so that we can lay it down at the cross knowing we've been forgiven and cling to the cross, Lord, then, with empty hands of faith, to be filled with your love and mercy and grace and hope so we can live out the, the faith consistently before you and this world so that our lives may be a marker, may be a sign that says Jesus alone and all are welcome to him. Thank you, Lord. Bless, continue to bless our time together. Amen. You know, this gospel is good news because it brings us true freedom from the power of sin and death in a world, in this world that's so destructive. And it fully, this gospel message is fully establishes us relationally and positionally to be in the favorable presence of God forever. It frees us from a life of bondage that's all about gaining and obtaining and taking and, and being obsessed with self to try to establish a sense of worth and purpose. And it frees us to a life of liberty that just gives and gives and serves and serves and invests and invests in those around you. For the gospel message takes your eyes off of yourself and it places them upon Christ and what He has done and is doing for us by faith alone in Him. The message of the cross, the gospel of the grace of God, is our life source and our power as we live our lives. For through Him, we have been made truly alive in a world that's dead. For Christ has come to live the life we could not live, a perfect and a sinless life. He has died the death that we deserved. He took the wrath that was upon us and placed it upon himself. He then came back to life to give what we could not earn, forgiveness, salvation, and full restoration with God as his beloved child. This gospel is good news because Christ has done everything for us to have peace with God all by faith in him alone. 
Nothing is required of us but faith alone in Jesus. And it is such great news because it says, even if that faith that we have is little, even if that faith we have is weak and faltering, if we we still, no matter what, have the full love of God upon us forever to work all things for our good in Him. Well, let me put it to you in a different way to to really drive in the freedom, the absolute freedom that we have in Jesus Christ by faith alone. For the message of the gospel says, now that we are his children by faith, even when we fail him, even when we sin against him, even when we turn from his ways and doubt him and doubt his blessings in our life, when we give in to sin, and think that God's grace is not enough for us, but something else is. And by the way, when I speak of sin, I'm not just speaking of giving into lust and anger and pride and envy, etc., 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 but also giving in to self-righteousness, thinking that you are strong enough on your own to follow after God's laws without His help, or that you got it all together in, your, in certain parts of your life, so that you can go about it without consulting Him or relying upon Him. See, sin affects everything about you and me, even the good and the practical stuff that we seemingly do. If we don't do it from faith, then it's a sin. For Romans 8, 14, 23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Remember, God demands perfection from your life in all things, not progression. Perfection. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. It says in Matthew 5, 48, You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. But we so easily forget that, don't we? We think we got it all together at some points in our life that we're perfect in some areas. But we don't got it all together in any part. But anyways, when we sin, we sin a lot. When that happens... Because we are freed from the power of sin and death by faith in Christ, we do not agitate God to abandon us. We do not fluster God to remove His blessing or love or favor from us at all. This gospel is good news. He does not get angry with us at all. For all the anger, all the forsaking was all taken for us upon the cross by Jesus Christ alone, through faith in Him alone. So rather now, He just gives us more and more of His grace and reveals more and more of His love to us through His gospel to win us back to resting and relying and looking to Him for all things. The gospel's good news. You could say He just pours more and more of His love upon our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit by promoting us to look by faith to what Jesus has done for us. He reveals to us as Christ has died and already forgiven that very sin we just just have committed and all the sins that we'll ever commit in the future. 
He reveals how we are fully and permanently forgiven in Christ by faith alone in Him, all because of His unconditional love for us and not because anything we have done or can do or will do for Him. The gospel's good news. And dwelling upon then these gospel truths in turn drives us then to repentance. These gospel truths empower us to turn from our sins more and more than, even if it's just a little bit more, the sins we once loved so much become less and less tasteful in our life. For our eyes, by looking at the gospel, become more and more open to see sin of any type as just pure death, to see sin as just bringing no benefit to anyone or anything, and that it can give us nothing. And in its place, through hearing and dwelling on the gospel of the grace of God, we become more and more and see more and more how Christ is our everything and how He has given us everything already by, uh, to, uh, given us everything already by faith in Him alone. See, through faith in Christ then, there will be consequences that come about our life. There will be changes that consequently happen in all of our lives with this gospel truth. Even if it's not consistent or perfect, there will be changes nonetheless, no matter how small or how minute. For our lives will begin to change because now we are dead unto sin and alive unto Christ by faith in Him. We have been given hearts of flesh that are beating full of His love. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul has been going over what's where and where some of those changes begin to happen. And one of those places is our relationships. And Paul today is going to focus on the marriage relationship by addressing the husbands. Now, If you're not a husband, please don't disengage. Please do not space out. Because there is much gospel truth here in our passage today of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. And I promise you that it will be beneficial for you in the Lord, for His, His word never comes back vain. So our title today is A Christian Husband Part 1. Yes, husbands, you get a double dose. So let's look at the text and see how we then could be encouraged in our Savior. Paul says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Now this seemingly is a simple statement. But it's truly quite extraordinary. And this brings us to our first point. A Christian husband loves his wife unconditionally. For Paul is saying that a husband is to love his wife, right, unconditionally. The core role of a husband is to love his wife. There are no conditions to this statement. There are no ifs here. So this simple statement is meant to have a powerful impact upon all Christian husbands. What we have here is Paul saying the husband's full relationship, meaning all his interactions, all his thoughts, all his words, all his deeds, all of his emotions, all of him, in whatever regards to his wife, all of it is to be in love and from love for his wife. Again, this is a simple statement, 
that is meant to tear away and eradicate any concept of conditional love for the wife. The love spoken here is given even if the wife does not deserve it, even if the wife is not worthy of it in that moment, even if she is not loving him back. The husband is to love his wife with no regard to what he gets in return. Or to put it differently, the husband is called to constantly seek out the highest good for his wife, irrelevant of her behavior, irrelevant of her health, irrelevant of her appearance, or irrelevant of anything else that might be a deterrent from receiving her husband's love. This love that Paul is stating is not a one-time act. It's not a one-time achievement, but a lifelong process of constantly loving her even if she cannot see it. And what I mean is this. The husband's life is to always reflect, is to always reveal his love for his wife Wherever he goes, in whatever he does, he is called to love his wife, always having her best interests at heart with whatever he is doing or saying or feeling. And that is the most intense aspect of this seemingly simple statement. The husband is to have this type of love for his wife at all times, willfully and freely, despite his personal circumstances. And this brings us to our second point. A Christian husband, his love is to be self-sacrificing. See, what Paul is saying here is that if, if you're a husband, you are called to love your wife with a self-sacrificing love in all your life even if that means losing your social prestige, losing your well-being, or losing your life all for the sake of your wife. For true love always seeks the good of the other at the expense of self. So in marriage, Paul is saying that is how the husband is to consistently live with his wife. Though we're called to love all people, there is a very special calling of, the, of love of the husband towards his wife. It is, it is a love that is deep-seated, a love that is fully comprehensive, a love that is purposeful and thought out for fully expressing a giving of oneself over to fulfill the needs of his wife above his own, for his heart is hers, even if she rejects it, even if she's harsh with it, or even if she breaks it. The husband is to love his wife despite it all, for that is his role in the marriage, and that is his call from the Lord in his life. Just from this one statement. Now you might be thinking, first two things. How in the world did you get all of that from husband love your wives? And second, and probably more personal, who on earth can live out that calling? <laughs> or more specifically, how can any husband live out such a command? Where in the world does such power come from to do this? 
Because if husbands are honest, they're not doing this as good as they think there are, as, as they think they are. Nor are they taking this as seriously as they should. But from this one statement, husbands need to. Well, Paul answers our questions and calms the heart of the husband and the mind with the gospel. For what God demands, he also provides. And that provision has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. The gospel's good news, even for husbands. See, Paul gives the very example of how far-reaching and how exhaustive this unconditional and self-sacrificing love is to be from a husband towards his wife, he does it by pointing to Christ and his relationship with the church. But the one who set the example is the very one who will empower the husband to live out the example that has been set because Christ has fulfilled this very command for us husbands. So put it this way. Paul wants to make sure Husbands realize they cannot muster up this type of love on their own. They're incapable of doing so, though they think they can. They can't. Paul wants to break them so they have to run to Jesus to empower them through faith alone in Him and rely upon His works, His fulfillment, His victory on their behalf. Paul says in verse 25 in regards to how the husband is to love his wife, he says... As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And what I find so fascinating about this is that rather than Paul basing the love that the husband is to have for his wife in the headship that the husband has or the authority that the husband has, Paul makes no mention of those things when he speaks to the husband at all in this whole passage. Rather, he just points to the free gospel of Jesus Christ and grounds it all in him and lets the love of Christ melt the husband's heart to stir within him a deep love for his wife. And this brings us to our last point. A Christian husband, his love is powered by Christ alone. Paul is saying, look, husbands, look at how much Christ loved his people. Look how much he loved the church in which You, husbands, were brought into. Look how he loved his church. And let him alone be your example and your life source of how to love your wife. Paul says, he gave himself up for her. Or more specifically, he willingly and freely took the initiative out of his love for the church to give up his whole life for her all the way up even to the point of death, all upon her behalf. The her, by the way, is the church. People like you and me who have faith in Christ. We are the her in this passage. The church. So what this means then is that He came, Christ came to the church, us, came to her, not because of anything worthy within us, He came not because we were lovable or even commendable. We weren't. He came seeking us not because we were beautiful or something to make much of. Because we weren't. 
He came not because we were making much of who he was. No, we weren't. In fact, we were doing the exact opposite. We were finding and making much of everything else. He came running after us, not because we were looking for him. In fact, we were running the opposite way, away from him, towards our sin, more and more that was against him. But despite all of that, Christ came out of love for her, for the church, for you and me. He came to give himself up for us out of pure, unconditional, and self-sacrificing love so that we could be His church and be with Him forever. Not because of anything deserving within us, but simply out of His love for us. The gospel's good news. In fact, you could put it this way. It was because of our wretched sin our completely helpless estate and defiance towards Him that stirred His deep, unfathomable mercy and love and grace towards us, all for His glory to reveal how truly unconditional His love is. That He freely gave out out of His grace and grace alone, because there was no merit in it. We could not merit it, for we were just sinners worthy of hell, worthy of His eternal wrath and torment alone. Yet, out of His love, He came to give Himself up for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still doing better, no, while we were were still sinners, Christ died for us. A love for sinners. Imperfect, incomplete people. Christ died for us. Paul then says in verse 26 to 27, What he says there reveals then the goal of Christ's love for the church. Why he gave his love up for her. Or put differently, Paul reveals what the seeking of the highest good of the one loved is. And Paul here begins to state some of what that is. Of what the highest good that Christ was seeking for his church. Paul gives a list, if you will. He says here, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What you have here is Paul very bluntly and in your face, in my face, saying that Christ out of his love has come and done everything for his church. And he is doing everything for his church so that he can be everything for his church by faith in him alone. Paul is saying he loved his church so much. He loved you and me so deeply that Jesus has come to do all the work of setting you apart from the world. That he is working that setting apart too from the world within us all by faith in Him. You and I are not part of the equation, for we only receive the benefits undeservingly 
simply out of his love for us by faith alone. For the only doing, if you want to call it that, is to be fully dependent upon him by faith alone, by resting and receiving and trusting in him, to do all of what he has stated here in these two, in these two verses and all of Scripture. He took the heavy, impossible burden of removing you and I out of the world's power. He alone broke the world's grasp upon our hearts and lives so that now our lives are in full, unbroken commitment to be used unto Him and His glory forever, despite our imperfect performance before Him. He alone has made us suitable for the great for this great, loving, and holy relationship. We didn't do the cleaning. He did it all and is doing it. For the word sanctify here means to be set apart or consecrated exclusively for the Lord's use or for His work. For Christ, as it says, having cleansed her, meaning that it was His work alone that has fully removed the defilement of sin upon our lives before God. He's done it. And he did it. And this happened at the moment when we heard the proclamation of the gospel and placed faith in him. Which is why Paul says, by the washing of the water with the word. This amazing otherworldly transformation happened to us when we were washed or bathed with the gospel of the grace of God through the power and sealing of the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. Christ is the source of all of this because of his love for us. Even when we had no love for him, Christ will and does wash us all through his word. And he works this cleansing from sin we have in him fully. He works it into our lives by faith and faith alone in him. That's why reading his word is so important. Ezekiel Uh, speaks prophetically of this gospel truth of Christ doing everything for us. In Ezekiel 36, verse 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. In fact, that whole passage is a lot of I, 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 I. Read it. And Paul brings it up again in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So think of it this way. Paul is saying that at the moment of salvation, through faith in Jesus, we were cleansed and sanctified through the gospel because of all the work that Christ has done for us. And through our continual faith in Christ, the power of the Spirit, through the proclamation and reading of His Word, which all points to the gospel ultimately. He is always working Christ's doings now within us to turn away from sin and turn to Him as we go about our life. For the power of sin has been broken over us by the cross. Which is why he says in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Notice that Paul here reveals again, making sure we don't miss the fact that it is Christ alone who does all the work to make his church, whom he loves, to become glorious. That is not a you and him thing, it is a Christ thing, by faith alone in him thing. 
Christ does not say to his church that once we come to him, we're now on our own. Christ never says to his church whom he died for, see all I have done for you to get you into the door. Now you must go up to your room and do the rest on your own. Clean yourself up before you come back down here. He doesn't say, look, I'm exhausted. I can only do so much. You know, it was a lot of work to do what I just did. Now you have to fix your spots and fix your wrinkles and any defect that you have. I got you in, but come on. I can only do so much. No. Paul says Christ, out of his deep, vast, complete love, will take care of his church. He will take care of all of it for her. He will bring the total transformation and attributes and qualities that she does not possess on her own. He will freely give it to her all out of undeserved love for her. For she merited none of it. But he freely gives it. For he has given his life for her and will see to it that his perfect life is a perfect substitute for her, for all of her imperfections. For he will use all his divine power to make her beautiful, all through her resting in him by faith alone. See, Christ has got it all covered because he has us covered with his love and he will bring us home to him in heaven safely. Despite all of our failures, despite all of our inconsistencies, and despite all of our sins, his love has no bounds, his grace has no end. For we are his and he is ours, for he is faithful to us even when we're unfaithful to him. The gospel is good news that brings true freedom and rest for us sinners. Now husbands, that is the unconditional self-sacrificing love you are called to love your wife with. Even though you fail at it every day. But remember, and be comforted by this, the sacrificial love of Christ that you are called to imitate, that wholly given yourself over to your wife for her betterment at your expense. Remember, the very example you are called to do is the very love of Christ that he has himself towards you always, even as you fail. For you are his church. You are his loved one by faith in him alone. Even as you fail to love your wife with this unconditional and self-sacrificing love. Christ loves you unconditionally, even if you don't love your wife currently this way or have not been loving your wife with this goal. Christ has fulfilled this for you and you can just trust in him and his finished works because he has forgiven you of all the inconsistencies and all your future inconsistencies. Christ loves you despite your sin. And if you go to him then Admitting you can't love your wife the way you should, but look at how he loves you. You consequently, consequently will begin by his power 
Begin to be enabled to love your wife in this way more and more over time. In different ways it will come about. If you go to him, as we all should, saying we have failed to live out, you have failed to live out your calling in live, and loving your wife as Christ loved the church, he will remind you that you're already forgiven and he will give you more and more of his grace so you can begin to live faithfully to your calling in loving your wife. For church, we all fail at our calling in Christ in whatever context we are in. Whether that be in church or out in the world or in the home or just by ourselves. Whatever calling you have upon you, you fail at it. And if we think we can handle it, we can't and we don't and need to, need to admit. We need to admit that to Jesus and run to him by faith. Singing that old hymn that says, I need thee every hour. In joy or pain, come quickly and abide, or life is in vain. Church, be content at peace knowing that it is finished in Christ over us by faith in Him, for we are fully forgiven from all our sins. So go to Him by faith more and more through prayerfully reading His Word to remind you in all things that it is finished in Him and God's love is fully upon you even as and when you fail Him. He loves you anyways. For in Christ we have everything now, so it is only by and through faith in Him alone that we are able to live out our calling men in everything and reveal to all our freedom and our true life that we have in Him alone in a dead world. For truly it is finished in Christ. And we are called to rest in that. So as we go to the Lord then in prayer, I invite the deacons to come up. You can pray with them. You can pray up here. You can pray with me. Prayer on your own. Let's go to him to remind us that we have been truly forgiven. And if you don't know him today, I pray that today you're able to come to him and know that you have a Savior who loves you, who has forgiven your sins through faith in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this message, Lord, that this is specifically your passage, Lord. Even if I have said something inaccurate or wrong, erase it from our memories and help us focus on your word, Lord. Because your word is life. Help us, Lord, to remember specifically what your son has done for us. His love for the church, us. How he will take care of everything so we can rest in him. Lord, if there are sins we're holding on to, if there are things that we're holding on to that we think make us us or things that we're holding on to because we just don't know how to let go because we're afraid, thinking that you're not enough for us, God, I pray that you remove it from us. Remind us that we have been forgiven. Crush our idols. Crush our pride. Crush our self-righteousness. And help us rest upon you. God, if someone doesn't know you here today, Lord, I pray you melt their heart to know you today. God, I pray for the wives and the husbands and their relationship in whatever capacity, Lord, that you just remind them that you love them and that through looking at you that they'll be able to fulfill their calling towards each other. Thank you, God, for the gospel. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.